0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: It says this morning's reading is uh, from Psalm 22. That can be found on page 554 five, in the Church Bibles. And we're reading verses 1 to 20. Page 554, five, Psalm 22, verses 1 to 20. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb, you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you, from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, thank you very much, uh, David. If I may begin by just adding my welcome to that of Matthew's from earlier. It really is lovely to see you, to gather together like this. Uh, If you are a visitor, then you are really welcome. If you're new, if you're just sort of finding out uh, whether or not you'd like to to be part of this church family, we would love to have the opportunity to get to know you after the service. So do please come and introduce yourself uh, to Matthew or to myself. And it really is a privilege as we gather around the table together as the family of God. And I don't think there's any better place to start than in Psalm 22. But before I do so, I just must make one comment, actually. As I came in this morning, somebody said to me, congratulations on your snazzy haircut. And I do think it's only right and proper of me to pay appropriate respects to the handiwork of our guitarist, Dennis. Well, would you join me? just for a few moments as we pray, and then we'll look at this psalm together. Father, we thank you for your word, and this, this is a, an important psalm, and it has, I trust, something to say to each one of us. Speak, we ask, in your name. Amen. Now, the great writer C.S. Lewis lost his wife Joy to cancer when he was 60 years old after only three years of marriage. And it was natural for him to turn to writing, to help him through the the grieving process. And the journal that he kept after Joy's death was subsequently published as A Grief Observed. And at one point in the book, he talks about how he had been taught as a Christian that if he needed God's help, all he had to do was to ask and that God would be right there. But now when he desperately needed it, No help seemed to be coming. Rather, it was as if the door had been locked and bolted in his face. At the time of his greatest need, he felt completely alone. Now, I think every honest Christian here this morning can identify with this. It's true that some of us have those stories of going through difficult times and how God gave us a special sense of his presence help us. Perhaps he even delivered us through some miraculous and unexpected way. And those are, aren't they, wonderful stories and a great strength to our faith as we look back and remember them. But sooner or later, most of us experience what Lewis went through, You know, we're in a time of great need and it seems as if God is nowhere to be found. Our prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down at us. And that's where our psalm this morning today starts. You see, if anyone tells you that Christians never have those kinds of experiences, ask yourself why God inspired Psalm 22 and gave it to us as a church, as a prayer for us to pray. And the opening words are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Now this is a psalm in which the experience of God-forsakenness is explored thoroughly. And as you may remember, this was the psalm that Jesus used When he hung on the cross. So let's have a little look more closely at it together. Now Psalm 22 actually is carefully arranged with a real order to it. I want you to notice this. The psalm itself falls into two parts. You've got verses 1 to 20 which David read to us. And that is the complaint. And then verses 21 to 30 are the thanksgiving for God's deliverance. And the first section also falls into two parts. You've got the first half, that's verses one to 10, and that's a sort of A-B, A-B structure, in which complaints about God's absence are followed by remembrance of how it wasn't like that in years gone by. So look with me, if you would, at the structure. Verses one to two are the complaints, and then verses three to five, the remembrance of how it wasn't like that in the past. Verse 6 to 8, you get there, the second complaint. And verses 9 to 10, the second remembrance. Okay, we've got that? And then in verse 11 to 20, the psalmist uses sort of animal symbolism to talk about how his enemies are gathering around him to sort of gloat over him and see him destroyed. So let's think about this a little bit more closely. Now in verses 1 to 2, the psalmist complains that God has forsaken him. And no matter how much he prays and groans and cries out for help, there seems to be no answer. But then in verse 3 to 5, he goes on to say, and here's the remembrance. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now do you understand what the writer's doing here. At first glance, it seems as if he's turning from that dark mood of verses 1 to 2 and putting his trust in the God of Israel. But I want to suggest to you this morning that when you look more closely, you can see that that's not the point. What he's actually saying is, there are all those stories of how you worked mighty miracles to help our ancestors in the past. They trusted you and you save them. So what's the matter with me? Am I a worse sinner than that? Am I not really one of your people after all? all Or are those stories just not true? You'll notice that the same thing happens a few verses later. After the psalmist, he complains about the fact that God's treating him like an insignificant worm. And he goes on to recount how people mock him and throw his faith in his face. Look at this. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let God deliver him, since God delights in him. And the implication is, he hasn't rescued you, so obviously he doesn't delight in you after all, does he? You see that? You see, you thought you were some sort of special Christian, did you? Well, think again. And then he goes on to say, the psalmist says, Well, what have I done to deserve this? In verses 9 to 10 he asks, He talks about how he's been dedicated to God since before he was born. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. See, he looks back here on a life that is dedicated to the service of God. And he asks himself, Is this all the reward that he gets? Why did he bother if he was just going to be abandoned like this in the end? What was the point? And you'll notice also that this isn't private grief. It's public, verse 11 to 20. His enemies, they taunt him. They gather around him and threaten him like a herd of wild bulls or a pack of rabid dogs. Now, whatever this trouble is, It has left the psalmist feeling that there's no one to rescue him. Well, which of us hasn't felt like that from time to time? You know, we may be living with some sort of long-term pain or sadness and just don't seem to be able to get any relief. Now we pray over and over again. Maybe we lie awake at night, unable to sleep, doing our best to sort of hold back the tears. And we read stories about how God miraculously heals people and think, well, why doesn't he heal me? Why doesn't he fix my problem? Have I done some particular sin that he refuses to help me? See, I always thought that I was a a child of God, but perhaps I was wrong after all. Perhaps I'm really nothing to God. You see, for some people, the worst thing this sort of suffering does isn't to stop them believing in God, but to stop them believing in God's love for them. Psalm 22 is a prayer for people who feel like that. You see, it doesn't try to give rational answers. It simply enables us to pray our experience honestly and openly before God. See, this is the prayer of the person who suffers chronic pain day and night. This is the prayer of the person who suffered some form of public disgrace and is afraid even to show their face in public for fear of ridicule that they may encounter. See, this this is the prayer of the, the bereaved person who longs for some sort of sense of God's companionship in their loneliness but finds only empty skies above. And this is the prayer of Jesus on the cross. We read in Mark's Gospel chapter 15 verse 34. At three o'clock Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabakathani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus was growing up, when he was a little boy, he would have learned these Psalms by heart. And now, in his hour of greatest need, the Psalms gave him the words to pour out his heart to the God he felt had abandoned him. And it's when you realize that this prayer is the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross, you look for other hints of the story in there. So when you read verse 2, My God, I cry out by day, but you, you, you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. We think of Jesus, don't you, in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that God would take this cup of suffering away from him and not getting what he prayed for. When we read verse 7 all who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. We surely think there, don't we, of the soldiers mocking Jesus, putting the crown of thorns on his head and dressing him in a purple robe to taunt him. We think of Jesus hanging on the cross and the chief priests mocking him saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe in him. And when we read verse 16, They pierced my hands and my feet. We think of Jesus with nails through his hands. And his feet. And then we remember, don't we, how the soldiers divided his clothes between them and threw dice for his seamless outer robe. And then we read verse 18 They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. See, Jesus cried out to God on the cross, and God delivered him, not from the suffering, but through the suffering and death to the bright new morning of the resurrection and because of his death and the message of the gospel and uh, the gospel of resurrection the message went out beyond the borders of Israel to the ends of the earth and people including you and me from every nation have come to believe Jesus is God's anointed king verse 27 and 28 so as i conclude This psalm speaks to us of Jesus who went through the terrible experience of God-forsakenness on the cross. He cried out to his Father for help and there seemed to be no answer. So when it seems to you as if there is no answer for your prayer, when it seems as if the, the skies are barren and there's no God there to help, this psalm assures you that you are not alone. See, God himself experienced God-forsakenness. Ultimately, he was abandoned that we need not be abandoned, but instead adopted as children of God. See, God the Son looked for help from from God the Father from that time in the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday night until the resurrection morning on Sunday. And throughout that period of time, it seemed as if there was no answer. He carried the burden of human sin and evil on his own shoulders alone, with no one to help him. So we can pray the words of the psalm with him, confident that he knows the worst of what we're experiencing, and far more besides. And as Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 says, because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. And one one final but I think important thought. The suffering on the cross made no sense. It was a dark moment that looked like utter defeat, but it was in fact impossible victory. More than that, it was planned as part of a means of the springing salvation to the whole of the world. And I want to say to you all this morning, because behind the smiles, I know there is pain. And I believe that one day, too, there will not be one second of our suffering that has been wasted. Now that may be utterly incomprehensible to you this morning. You might be thinking to yourself, "I have no idea, Johnny, how that can possibly be true." But you know, God is infinitely bigger than my ideas. And one thing we know about the God of the Bible is that He specializes in bringing good out of evil. You See, evil, my dear brother and sister. evil won't have the last word. God's love. Will have the last word, and when we finally see God face to face, all our pain and all our questions will be swallowed up forever in his love for sinners. Sinners saved by grace. That's our Lord, that's our Savior. That's why we gather. Children, teenagers, adults, we gather together. We remember. The Lord Jesus Christ, who today sits victorious on that throne. Hallelujah. And we gather as his people. We come, we take the bread, we take the wine. Remember what Christ has done for us. And we praise his name. And a day will come when we will gather with him around the throne. And he will show us his hands. And he will show us his feet. And we will see. We will see the nail prints. And we will see for ourselves and we will look back on this life and the pain and the disappointment and the heartache will evaporate. in the beauty and the knowledge that he reigns and he has us and more importantly, he knows you by name. So wherever you are, whether you stumbled in here this morning, whether you are carrying the heaviest of burdens, know that the Lord Jesus Christ understands and knows it and he's with you and he hears your prayers. And when you weep, he weeps with you. So come, brother and sister. Gather around this morning. Feast on the Lord Jesus
1: Christ. Amen.